You are listening to episode 258 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we run and hide or get sick trying in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week, Ryan and I are playing a little bit of Home Sweet Home on the PlayStation 4, a uh, horror game that also has VR compatibility. So we'll talk about that a little later in the episode. Uh, but of course, we can, uh, you know, be found on thegameflators.com, our currently out of date website. Uh, you can find us on social media at Game Deflators on X and at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. You're also listening to a podcast app right now, so go ahead and leave us a five-star review uh, and listen to us on other podcast apps and leave us five-star reviews. The more and, the merrier. Exactly. And then the last thing is you can find us on YouTube. So if you don't really like podcast apps, find us on YouTube, leave a comment, talk to us on there, uh, subscribe, helps out a lot. Definitely appreciate it. All right. Recent pickups. Uh, it feels like yesterday I was recording with you and Barry. <laughs> it sure that, does, John. That, that might be because we did record yesterday. <laughs> um, so recording in advance uh, due to vacation timing. And as far as pickups are concerned, I mean, I could play it off and say, hey, guys, I got Mario Wonder. But the reality is that comes in tomorrow. We're recording on a Monday night. Uh, so we will play yep. Mario Wonder on the next episode. It will be a pickup by the time that you hear this. Yes. Yeah, it will be a pickup. It'll be in my hands in the morning, and I'm just waiting. Uh, I will let everybody know on the next episode if I got the pack of cards that's supposed to come with it. We know how Walmart is, you know, and not providing everything. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, currently playing, I mean, after we recorded yesterday, I didn't play any video games, uh, but we did play some D&D. So I guess we could talk about that a little bit. Uh, I updated... And- uh- Thomas today. Oh, did you? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. What did you think of yesterday's shenanigans of a session that was well scrappily you sure, put together? You sure jaunted it up, didn't you? <laughs> oh, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> so uh, John made a, a Colonel Sanders tiefling. It was fantastic. He had all twenty. Is it twenty three, or is that Doctor Pepper that's twenty three? How many I herbs have... and spices does he use? <laughs> Eleven. It's 11 herbs and spices. But according to Ryan last night, it was 28. Yeah, it's 11 herbs and spices. Baskin Robbins, 31 KFC spices. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it was a very interesting Colonel Sanders on a plantation with goblins um, situation. And uh, the, I left it up to the group. I very much like I'm telling you, when I planned that, it was very much open ended. I'm like, what can I do to just have like this fun quirky session that the group is just kind of enjoy and have some fun with. And so, you know, we had you guys obviously with the uh, giant hamster, the rabbit hamster, and I thoroughly enjoyed seeing your character dip five HP every turn. Oh my God. I got down to two out of two. That was hilarious, dude. But like the, I didn't anticipate it was going to be that bad. So I had to like think off the top of my ass, like how do I not kill Ryan tonight? Um, but it was great for like Joel to kind of run off, grab some random ass mushrooms and be like, here, they're mushrooms and they'll cure you and happen to cure you. Um, but it was fine. It was fun to kind of have like the anticipation of like, oh, God, my character is like at two flipping HP and it was still hitting you at the same time with creatures. 
So it's not like I was letting up at any point. I was getting brutalized. Oh, yeah, it was great. Brutalized. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody thought a giant hamster was going to have laser beam eyes. No. So that was a nice little feature. Of is that just an extra thing or is that <laughs> <Yeah>. canon? <laughs> no, no, I don't know what the hell. That, no, that's got to be extra. So like, so I found like a giant hamster set. There were several giant hamster sets. If you look in the main book, the giant hamster is like very docile. Like there's nothing big about it. It's got like 20 or 30 HP. I don't remember. It's like pretty shitty stats. I was like, I need to have a big bad boss here. Like it really needs to like be alien for the most part. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it didn't get to do the one thing I wanted to do because you guys kept saving, but it was supposed to be able to swallow one of you guys and start biting you mm. uh, at the same time and deal a lot of damage. So basically I found an overpowered homebrew uh, creature, a giant hamster. And I mean, it was stupid overpowered. Like that laser beam eye, I hit you for 3d8. It was supposed to be 12d8. Yeah, that's a lot of D8s. Yeah, that was like a deadly battle for sure. And then I threw in the rats because I was like, well, you know, got to throw in a little wrench here. <laughs> um, but Both I don't great. know if you noticed, but like every time you guys got close to it, how you got necrotic damage dealt to you. Yeah, that's because it had radioactive aura coming mm. off of it. So you guys were actually getting hit with radioactive energy every time you went close to it. We so thought why, it was like stink or something, but it was just like literally space stuff. It was literally space stuff. It was radioactive matter on its body. Interesting. Emanating off and creating, you know, really hurting you guys, creating necrotic damage. Um, so that was fun. And then obviously we did a whole Colonel Sanders thing. And I just love that I had that like classic, you know, bump, 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 bump music in the background for you guys to like raid his house and kill him. It, it was the greatest thing. Well, no, you guys didn't. You had the goblins do it, which was pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had a I had a good time DMing that one last night. I wish Thomas was there for it, but at the same time, um, it's nice because it allows us to move on to the next thing. And I try. I mean, obviously, you haven't played in one of my sessions before. You're, you know, outside of what you've done with me in Strixhaven, you haven't seen what I've done with the characters and developments. So. You know, I like to tie in your backstories to overall campaign work as well. Yeah. So it kind of creates like a special moment for you guys. So last night was like Ginny's time where her character's dad and her kind of made up and she got the special weapon and things like that. So I do like to do things like that in the campaigns um, to just kind of help you guys develop your characters. And it's just fun, you know, to kind of homebrew some stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think it, it worked out really good for her. Yeah. So. That was that. Um, you guys battled a giant rabid space hamster, found a spaceship, killed a Colonel Sanders tiefling who was enslaving goblins, and they destroyed everything else, took over the plantation, and then Ginny made up with her thry-green dad. Yeah. So, yeah. So next time, we will actually be uh, back at the University of Strixhaven and doing normal shit again. But that's what we are currently playing. So on to you, Ryan. Uh, so for me, by the time you have listened to this podcast, I will have finished the darkness. <laughs> so I put it down as I finished the darkness. Wait, so you haven't actually finished as of this recording, but it will be done by the time. Yeah. By the time people are listening to this, it will be a true statement. So I'm cheating. <laughs> it's already done. Future Ryan has this in the bag. I'm trusting you, future Ryan. I I don't know, man. Future Ryan leaves shit at my house all the time. And future Ryan is not here for you, John. He's here for me. 
That's you true. get past Ryan. Past future, Ryan's always there for you. Future future Ryan leaves beers for Ryan in the past <laughs> all the time. My fridge has had multiple beers in there. See, which, that's way, past Ryan trying to do future Ryan a solid. Mm-mm, I get you. That's that's where it comes into play, which, by the way, those prickly pear beers, not a fan. Yeah, they're just, I mean, I don't know, any kind of just basic wheat beer like that. I mean, it's all just blue moon to me. Uh, you know, normally it's we should have a beer section on this podcast but like for me drinking wheat ales i mean i started with wheat ales like that's what i predominantly drank for a long time and then i've moved over to you know darker drinks essentially um and so like wheat ales to me they don't all taste the same but that one just doesn't have like that there's no pizzazz yeah they're just just very flat yeah it does taste kind of flat to me and it's disappointing because i actually like that particular beer uh, or that brewery, the Grand Canyon Brewery. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually, I like their stuff. So it's kind of weird. Don't they make an IPA that you drink? Probably. I, I drink many IPAs. You do. You, you just drink IPAs. So yeah. Whereas I'm like, I like sours a lot now too, though. Yeah. See, I drink stouts and stouts and what's the other one? Um, the other dark one, it's port Porter, I think. I don't remember. I don't Port's know. It's like a wine. No, not port. Well, I do drink port actually, but. I don't remember the name of that beer. It's like a darker one. You have, you know, stouts and you got other stuff. I don't know. Somebody comments. Beer stuff. Social, it's beer stuff. Yeah. Just start commenting different types of beers. I'll be like that one because I don't want to Google it right now. But still, I think you're cheating. Future Ryan is cheating here. Yeah, I am. Uh, I've still been playing Backpack Battle for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they They make updates all the time. I'm up to 20 hours. I just like that. I didn't realize still playing backpack battle. You put that down as like future Ryan. Is yeah. Still yeah. This is all future battle. Ryan stuff. I'm getting ready to tackle Pikmin soon. That's on my horizons <laughs> on your new horizons. Yep. Yep. So okay. all right. I'll get, uh, I'll get everything wrapped up here just in time for the holidays. You know, summer, <laughs> everybody next... loves a good summer. Halloween By summer. The way, ween, they call it next week. I think we're actually getting our first cold front. It's supposed to be in like the 60s, I think, for the high. Spooky. Yeah, just in time, right? I won't even be available <laughs> when when that particular day comes through. You so. know, we don't have a discussion topic, so let's just let's just keep going down this way. Jacket weather. I love jacket weather. I do too, actually. It's um, you know, that's so when people say like, do you prefer hot or cold? It's always gotta be the like, I can only take off so much clothing. Mm-hmm. Right. But jacket weather, you're like, oh, I'm kind of cold. All right. I'll put this on. Oh, I'll take this off. And it feels kind of nice. Let me put it back on. Like you're kind of, you have to be a little, I don't know, like you got to mix it up, right? Like you, you're going to have different types of layers and what you put on and and what's going to make you feel better. Whereas like when it's hot, it's just hot and it sucks. Yeah. I love, I love driving with the windows down when it's cold, put the heater on. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and you get that little that little wispiness of the cold air. Oh, yeah. oh, dude, it's it's the best. Actually, that's one of my favorite things to do when it gets chilly like that. It's just windows down, heater up, because you get that nice, like, yeah, warm heat feeling, like hitting your face. But you got like that cold air kind of hitting the rest of your body. Oh, it's good stuff, dude. What about uh, you, pumpkin spice guy, John? Hell no. <laughs> I don't like pumpkin spice, dude. My wife drinks it all the time. Oh, and I'm just like, oh. Like she, uh, she bought pumpkin spice creamer a while back and 
I was too lazy to actually go to the grocery store and get more like better creamer. And so it was like, I don't know, just going through pumpkin spice creamer. Like this is disgusting, but I need my coffee. <laughs> uh, dude, I did pumpkin everything for me. I did I find pumpkin. recently though, they have a, of course, non-alcoholic, they have a non-alcoholic Kahlua creamer. Mm, interesting. That was actually really good. I just oh. finished my first bottle of that pumpkin beer. That I actually can get behind. I'm actually I love a fan of beer. You I should actually, try the Atomic Pumpkin by Voodoo Ranger. That's really good. It's like a pumpkin IPA. Dude, it's killer. It's got so much flavor in it. I'll Great. give it a I'll give I'll it a I'll bring shot. one over. Okay, future Ryan needs to bring one over and uh and we'll try it out at a session. Um yeah, I mean pumpkin, I can do pumpkin beers. Like I have no problem with that. Um but most pumpkin stuff, no. Like pumpkin pie obviously is like good yeah. stuff. Like that's I have pumpkin pie every year instead of cake for my birthday. More people yep. should do it. Yeah, no, you do. And it's fantastic. I actually, what's funny is like a couple of weeks before your birthday, um, we had a session and I was in Costco and I saw the big pumpkin pie. There. I'm like, man, I should totally get that for Ryan's birthday oh, for like, you can't D &D. beat it for like, oh. what is it? Like six bucks. And it's like as big as your head. Yeah. Or wait, like bigger. It's huge. You can't even make a pumpkin pie for that price. Yeah. <laughs> so. Not that big either. Mm -mm. No, dude, like pumpkin pie, like it's easily like 10 bucks to make. So I like how we've gone on this like random subject matter. I, I kind of like it. Well, we're talking about the change of the seasons. We don't get a whole lot of visual season change down here in the Southwest. So all of you folks out there across this fine planet of ours who are in a place where the leaves change color in the autumn, enjoy it for us. You know, I, I've been kind of wanting to go up north and, and do that, like as leaves are kind of falling, check it out. But I mean, yeah. you kind of get it here. Like my neighborhood, we have a lot of uh, leaves that actually do change color. Mm. Um, but it's not the same, you no. know, like, no, it's not like when you're in a place where that's what the happening is. Yeah, exactly. Like I've done Sedona, like during both times or multiple times, right. Where it's like the leaves are changing and then I've done where there's no leaves and then the leaves are coming back up in like yeah. that drive along the Creek there. And that's, that's actually really nice. So, um, Anything else in this topic before we dive into our news? No, I think we're good. So uh, this week in the news, uh, the cow level might not remain a secret much longer. AI is coming after your NPCs and Google Play is bringing your favorite pooping pastime to the PC. <laughs> I didn't catch that in that article, but I guess we'll find out. Um so, yeah, so the first thing here is after slaying 666 cows, Diablo 4 player makes a major breakthrough in a hunt for the secret cow level. And this is Tyler Culp at PC Gamer. So this is great. I love yeah, this. So, so from what I understand, there were cow levels in prior Diablo games that you could do and you would kill cows and get there. I'm not very familiar with that, but there's a secret cow level that's like full of murderous cows. I mean, I was never a huge Diablo person, but I know of the cow level and I know that they've been saying there is no cow level I, in the new one. I did not lied. know. Yeah, I did not know this is a thing. Well, no. So here's the thing. They said that there still is not a cow level. Uh, Blizzard has denied it. And there's players finding things that are like, no, there's definitely a cow level. Like it's there. It exists. There's like a tome. There's, you know, different relics and stuff they've picked up to be able to do this ritual to find the cow level and stuff. And nobody has found the cow level yet. They're making breakthroughs, Ryan, to find the cow level. We're on and the bleeding edge of cow level science. Exactly. And so... You know, of course, Blizzard's like, no, it's not a thing. I mean, it could be. It could be down the road. They're planning on doing this and they're just kind of leaking this thing and creating some. Uh, I was going to make a cow joke and be like, moo excitement, but that or moo excitement, but that doesn't work. 
No, it doesn't. Well, I'll just stop that. Um, excitement. Yeah, excitement. I love it. Yes, that works. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people are trying to find his cow level. It's like Schrodinger's cow level. See, the thing I think is that, like, because the whole saying is, like, there is no cow level, and then there was a cow level, like, I think they're just being tight-lipped and just being, like, keeping that tradition alive. Like, there's definitely stuff leading people to a cow level. They just don't know how to get there yet. So, like, it's it's real as soon as they find it. Until they find it, it it's not real. I cannot wait to see Diablo 666 cows trending at some point on social media. Yeah. Like that's what I'm looking forward to. And then like watching the videos of the first person that breaks through and finds the cow level. But there's like a whole thread or like, I think is it a discord or was it a Reddit post? I think it's a Reddit thread. Um, but yeah, people are like, Oh yeah, I found this. And like, they're helping each other out yeah. to find the cow stuff. And, uh, it's pretty cool. It's a nice community of cow killers and, um, you know, PETA would have a field day with this. Yeah, there is a, a good edge to this, I guess, because I was just hearing, I think yesterday from might have been Jesse Cox, but Blizzard uh, and Xbox probably aren't too happy with Diablo's performance right now. It came out on Steam and it's got like really low player counts. And I think it's got like a 66 or something on there. Like it's really not doing very good. Yeah, well. We will see what happens, Ryan, with the cows. But on to our next article, and that is video games are in for quite a trip. How generative AI could radically reshape gaming. And this is Rebecca Kames at CNN. We very rarely do CNN articles, but I thought this one was pretty cool. And I will say I had some fun with generative AI today, actually, for my work. Um, apparently, I guess I have access like Bing AI chat or something. And I was just popping in. I'm like, write me an introduction for like this subject matter. It's just like doo, 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 spits it all out. I'm like, that actually looks pretty good. And I struggle with like writing intros. So like, it's fantastic. So I can see where something like this, you know, and, and it's multiple lenses on how AI, you know, and, and how it can support gaming. It comes from a perspective of, you know, being able to, uh, create stories right in a, a very quick manner and just kind of building that out um, there's ways that it's able to develop npcs and the lines that they have and um you know so it's just there's a lot of possibilities with ai and what it's able to accomplish for the gaming space and i think it's it's really ultimately going to help a lot of these like indie developers i think first and foremost right like it's going to help the bigger corporations and kind of lining things up and getting things like at a, at a faster pace but I think for indie developers, this is huge because it, it really allows them to quickly build things out using an AI support system while focusing on the things that truly like the bigger things that matter for the game. And I'm thinking like one and two team developers, right? Like small developers trying to get their stuff done or even like a team of five um, that are really just trying to get that game to the next level. And rather than sitting there with like the nitty gritty story details and trying to flesh out like all of these random stories. Like they give an example of, you know, games like fallout where you have these random NPCs that'll take you on all these different journeys. So being able to flesh things out like that pretty easily. Um, I think it's just going to be huge in general for gaming as a whole. So what was your perspective in, in listening or reading? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they go over a lot of different things and I mean, AI is going to touch Every region of video games, you know, sooner or later. I mean, we've obviously 
already talked before about how it's kind of leaning into, you know, not so great confrontations with voice actors and how they're trying to use AI to, you know, just get free voice acting uh, using other people's voice likeness and things like that. Um, you know, we've seen procedural generation for a long time. They obviously cite No Man's Sky because that's one of the best ones everybody loves to bring up because of just how massive it is. Um, but there's lots of other things that they go over here, too, that, you know, not everybody who thinks of AI is immediately going to jump to these. But they reference like being able to animate movement, you know, much better and uh, make it more natural. So, you know, people said that jobs would be taken away when they started doing mocap, but really it just kind of enhanced and was another better tool to bring better graphics and better believability to characters because they're actually moving and acting in the way that people do. But being able to like, I think they said they were training some AI to replicate movement for like animals. Obviously it's a lot harder to get an animal on like a green screen stage and put a bunch of balls on it and have it walk around and record it. Like that's not really going to play off super well, but like if you can get just like, I don't know, hundreds of hours of bear footage and then you can like make some really like good looking bears that didn't take an animator, you know, dozens and dozens of hours just for, you know, the payoff of a bear moving around, you know, to quickly have a repertoire of referenceable and usable animations for things or to add slight variation. Like at the very top of this article, there's like a video of just like two nights just swinging at each other. Like instead of like putting all the effort into making like just that one swing, you know, AI would be able to say, okay, here's the frame timing that we need. What if we made the swings just a little bit different, like maybe even enough that you could still guess like what the attack that's coming at you if it like was required. Like I know in some games like Souls games, you know, you need to be able to tell what's coming your way to prepare. But in other games like to not just see the same animation a million times and have some slight variations in there like that can add a lot. Having like they said, um, NPCs who are gesturing and animating in a way that enhances the speech that's coming across and then be able to give them speech that's like more helpful or more, you know, open to the AI's interpretation. Like when you talked about like Fallout earlier, like right now you go to a NPC, you know, they kind of stand there. They might move around a little bit. None of it is really making you believe that it's not a digital puppet. And then they do like their one quest the same way, you know, you got to do that like slow walk follow thing like an AI might be able to keep pace with you, you know, make the story more interesting towards like how you've been approaching it or give you more challenging or interesting dialogue based on dialogue that you've engaged with in the past. Uh, a lot of that are ways that they could really bump up 
those, you know, systems. And now taking into account the negative aspects too, right? So like, let's just say AI is not perfect, right? And what I was playing with today, for example, it spit out a bunch of content and I read it. I'm like, this is really good. But at the same time, I was like, man, there's a lot of things that need to be tweaked here. Like yeah. Things that don't align to my company's brand and what would need to be adjusted, right? So like at the same time, that AI creation of those visuals, like of the night swinging swords, like it might not be perfect, right? So that's where a developer can kind of come in and say, all right, now my job is to clean this up and make it, you know, really polish it and make it look, it's like the best it can look. It's and great this, for a first draft right now. AI yeah. is a very good first draft, like just to get you started. Maybe not even a first draft, maybe just like a, a entry point. I mean, dude, the stuff I was looking at today, I was like, this is pretty... You know, but I put in precise, so it's pulling a lot of stuff from the web and kind of condensing it into what it believes is going to be like the best talking points, right? But you, yeah, one of the things I, I know is that you always have to, in those cases, cite your sources and make sure your sources are actually correct and what they've provided and the things align. And there's a whole bunch of stuff there. But in terms of gaming, one of the things that they need to do too, though, is that as those stories are being developed by the AI, they need to make sure that things are truly aligned to the game itself that things are not rude, they're not crude, whatever it may be. Like yeah. they have to still go back in there and modify things and adjust. But just knowing that they're able to kind of quickly pivot as needed to say, okay, cool. Like I have 10 NPCs. Here's kind of what I'm thinking for the story. Let me go ahead and have it spit it out. All right, we're going to go ahead and also be designing, you know, with AI, like the movements and how that character is going to interact. All right, now that that's all done, let's go ahead and test it out, make sure that things are actually what they need to be and and make our adjustments. And so, you know, to your point, like you said, like a, a first draft, I mean, yeah, it definitely is a first draft, but in some instances, it could be a second draft already done right off the bat. And now you're just tweaking. Yeah. So it, it's going to be pretty cool seeing how this affects the industry moving forward. I, I do fear some people are going to be out of a job, right? Because to your point, if you're, instead of having somebody comb through bear footage and have to go ahead and like make bear movements, if AI can do that for like an animal, which isn't exactly the most critical piece of a game. Mm -hmm. Now that person, you know, is gone, right? That person that would have been focusing on animal footage and, and making that happen, uh, you know, for a game. So, well, this is like a thing that I've said for a long time. Uh, or I, I've told it to like my friend who knows stuff about game design. He like went to school and did that for a bit, but like, you know, how many people have spent how much time making trees for video games? Like yep. every video game, somebody's job is to make trees, not saying that they're bad trees, not saying that people can't have a good time making trees, but there's been a lot of collective hours making trees. We all know what trees look like, what they should look like. So if you just had like a stockpile of like, here's trees. Well, people don't want to do that because they want their game to look unique or whatever. But AI can say, here's a tree. Here's that tree, but slightly different. And it can do that over and over again in like no time and save somebody a bunch of time making trees like that person who's making trees would much rather be making a better asset and doing more like meaningful work for a project on another project than being tree guy i am sure yeah. And even so, once all of that's done in your tree example, then being able to go back and say, okay, 
it's been created. Now let me place this where it needs to be placed because it's been developed. Let me go ahead and put the lighting where it needs to be and adjust, you know, different aspects of that within the game. So not sitting here saying we're developers, but you know, this is definitely a tool that developers are, if they're not using it today, are definitely going to be using things like this in the future. And uh, it's, I think it'll make their lives easier. You know, yeah, there might be some job loss, but you know, those that do stay within the industry and are continuing development are going to find their lives to be much easier because of these tools. So Yeah. And like you were saying, like the ubiquitousness in the future for smaller studios to be able to get more done is really going to enable, you know, more games to be made. I mean, I, I've talked to Zach before and I mean, he imagines this future where everybody's just playing whatever AI game they asked an AI to make for them. And I have no doubt that time will come, but a lot of what we do like about video games is being able to all have the same experience and share and talk about and understand how we all took different things from those experiences. So the more AI gets introduced into games and the more individual those experiences become, the less we'll really be able to all have and share the same experience. And that'll kind of like, probably be a big evolution for games to go from the most mass appeal to the most niche appeal. I am writing down a multi-million dollar idea right now and just hear part of a discussion. That we'll oh, I'm full of them, John. Like if you oh, listen, yeah. I could make you all kinds of money if you had follow through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you want to do while I write this down our intro for our, our next piece here? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, next up, we've got uh, Google Play Games for PC is getting support for 4K and some console game controllers. Uh, So this is from Jay Peters at The Verge. And this is Google Play. They have been testing uh, in some beta areas uh, Google Play for PC and being able to play your Android-supported games on pc so games like clash royale that they actually cite just after the title of the article and other things like that uh you'll be able to use those with just about any modern controller you know series x s xbox one uh dual sense dual shock 4 all of these will be compatible with your mobile games that you can play on your pc Don't know how many people are choosing that, but I mean, considering the fact that you can buy Resident Evil 4 for full price or Assassin's Creed Mirage on mobile, and now Google is going to introduce being able to play those games on your PC, I guess it makes sense to have another outlet and full, you know, controller support. This isn't everywhere yet, but it will be soon enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't understand this too much. I mean, I, I get the compatibility aspect. Like, if you're playing games on your phone, you maybe own a PC that can play games as well. Maybe you sit back and that's what you do. But in my mind, like mobile gaming is mobile gaming. Like, you want a game on the go, and like that's what you do. You have certain games that you play on your phone, and that's how it goes, right? And then you have your PC games that you play on PC. I just long term, I just can't see how this is like. A thing right like it's 3000 plus i think this have 3000 supported games from mobile onto this like pc google play store type deal i 
I don't know, man. I just can't see this as like a long-term viable option. Like tons of people are going to start turning towards. Maybe I could be corrected down the road, but it just does not seem, I don't know. seems odd, right? It doesn't seem necessary to do something like this. I mean, it makes sense to me. Like the PC is the place where everything eventually ends up. And it makes sense to have your phone wind up on your computer. I mean, I can't believe this isn't already a thing. Like, this has to be a thing with Apple, I'm sure, by now. I'm not sure. I mean, I did see a comment on this article that Apple made an announcement recently about AAA games on their phone, on the App Store. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and some people hoping Google does the same. I mean, yeah, I guess I can I can see where like. A merging of the two in some capacity you know, like being able to, oh, I'm, my phone's charging, whatever it may be, or my phone's not with me. I'm going to play on my PC and continue my game, I guess. But at the same time, like the reason you started playing it on your phone is because you enjoy the mobile aspect of it typically, right? Like you're not looking to sit in front of a computer or a screen like that and and play seated, right? Like in that setting, you're, you're kind of looking forward well, towards I think playing you're, with your phone. I mean... Uh, there's a lot of people out there with multiple monitors and a lot of downtime. And I mean, traditionally you would just look at your phone and play the game. But I mean, if you could just throw it up on your computer and not have to worry about like killing your battery, you know, I mean, it depends on how much you're playing, but like, you know, not every game is built for the long haul, sit down and play with controllers. But I mean, you know, some people get down with that. The other thing is like Google and gaming right now and their failures in the last like several years. Is this going to turn out to be kind of the same thing, right? Are they going to cut support after a while because it's just not good? And like right now they're doing betas in multiple countries and uh, people are testing out that market and, and really testing out the viability of this. You know, does Google do a widespread launch? Based on that, I guess time will tell if that's the direction they end up going. It could just end up dying in these betas, right? There's just not enough excitement towards it. And they figure, all right, we're just not going to do it. But it sounds like they are moving in that direction for a widespread launch anyways. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know, probably what I would have said, like, inevitable. Yeah, yeah. How long it lasts after the fact? Time will tell. All right. Let's dive into our inflation deflation week. And this is home sweet home. Uh, I have no idea how to pronounce that developer's name. So you're going to try it, Ryan. Yggdrasil group. Yggdrasil group. Okay. Co LTD publisher. Yggdrasil group. Exactly. Co LTD. It was directed by Sarut Tubloy and it was released in September of 2017. It is a horror adventure game with a reception around a six out of a 10. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. I was actually earlier on, I was watching a video kind of breaking down the story. It's not a very long game. It is quite interesting. It is, uh, well, here's a synopsis. So uh, you play as Tim. Uh, Tim starts the game off awakened by the voice of his wife uh, in a strange home with the spirit of a young woman who can travel through blood, wielding a box cutter and trying to kill him. Uh as you explore around, Tim find his way back home in search of his wife, uh, along the way encountering strange creatures, monstrous spirits, and twisted locations, uh, following a breadcrumb trail of diary entries 
in search of his wife. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It is of Thai origin, uh, the mythology and things that surround it. Um, it's kind of like uh, just not survival horror because there's no like resource management. You're not like fighting back or anything. But I mean, you are trying to survive and it is horrifying it's like outlast or one of those games like you don't have any offensive tools it's like hiding lockers and wait for spooky stuff to happen to you <laughs> yeah pretty much and it's it's even like easier when games like outlast because like outlast you have batteries right and you have things chasing you and yeah you got to still run but you have situations where you literally enter a room and your batteries are dead and you have nothing you can do flashlight wise or camera wise uh, in that game so this was very much like you have a you know, a flashlight and you can use it or decide not to use it. There's no battery from what I noticed. And you go around and certain things like you can go and open a door. And when you open that door, it triggers something else to happen. Like a wall will suddenly open up and you can go in there. Um, and then of course the, the wife who is this like young spirit that can travel through blood and chases you around for boxer. I found it very interesting that like you and I, we were playing. She's not the long. one. Well, she, Oh yeah. Here's a voice of the young woman. That's yeah. So what I think was funny though, is you and I, as we were playing, we played for however long and we kept hearing like this clicking sound. We're like, what the hell is that? Like, we know she's coming. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we noticed the box cutter and we're like, Oh, she's playing with a box. Cutter. Yeah. That's she sounded like odd. a clicker. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of interesting, but like there's some freaky stuff in that game, man. Like, you know, we finally figured out how to run and like her chasing you initially when you're trying to figure out like the door situation. That's where you got our first instance of like, you know, oh, I have to open up this door, which fails. So then I go to the other door and then I hide in a locker and then she disappears and I see her going through a wall of blood. Um, you know, it was all very cool, like that aspect and how different pieces kind of had to happen for like something else to happen. Uh, so I did kind of like that aspect of the game. And then it was just creepy as shit. Like when we were hiding in that, um, in that, uh, behind, no, behind that shower curtain. Oh yeah. Yeah. And like, you could see her walk in and then we're just like, all right, you can turn around and go now. And then she walks up right to the shower curtain and then turns around. I'm like, well, that was a close call. Um, but you know, little things like that in terms of like overall spookiness though, when I compare it to something like amnesia or, you know, outlast or other games that I've played, uh, Blair, Witch project is another one. This one to me just wasn't as scary. Um, it felt like the the creature or the young woman was slower. You know, there wasn't like a whole bunch of like smart stuff going on with it. it's like, oh, I hid in the locker and you saw me jump in the locker, but you're not going to try and stop me. Yeah. You know, so that was that's kind of how I felt in playing it. I do think there's better horror games out there. Um, but it was still pretty creepy and the a or the VR, I'm sure kind of enhanced that I didn't play the VR, but you were oh. motion sick with it. Yeah. So I've never played on the PS VR before, and I haven't done a whole lot of games where I haven't done any games where you hold a controller, but are playing in VR, uh, you know, just always like the dual, like whatever hand controllers come with the VR headset you're using at the time. Um, but yeah, I was like super disoriented. It felt like the turning was like too snappy and I just like, uh, my stomach was not, not feeling it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. And I just thought about this in the past when I've played VR games on 
or you know what? It's certain games. So like Doom, for example, you have to play with a PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 4 controller. You can't play with the PS5 controller. This mm. one, we were able to play with the PS5 controller, which I found to be kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Like I played Doom VR and I got like sick to my stomach, dude. Like I could not play that game. Uh, because of that but then there's other games i played on vr the playstation vr and they're great like i've gone through and i've enjoyed a moss was one of those like there were instances where i'd feel kind of queasy um but grand scheme of things it was not bad and like ghost giant i think was it ghost giant no it was i think it, yeah it was ghost giant that i played that one was uh also pretty easy and, and not like so sickening to play but it's because you're you're actively moving your head around and doing different things and the, the actual, you know, motion controls are easier to use. It's not like you said, like trying to hold a control and like look left really quick. Like that to me, I think is what makes it sick. Having to constantly look around and not you actually doing it, but like a control doing it. I mm-hmm. think that's the worst part about it. So, you know, I think for sure, if you're going to play this game, don't play it in VR um, unless you can deal with that motion sick feeling. Yeah. Um, overall, I thought it was pretty spooky uh, having watched something about the rest of the game because we didn't make it, you know, that far. We never do. Uh, but looking into where the game goes from there, there is actually quite a bit uh, that is very interesting, I think. So like from I, a spooky perspective or just like a story perspective, a little bit of both. It definitely looks like it's a way more interesting game that I would have thought, you know, just from the outset. Uh, so it's definitely something that I think would be worth like playing all the way through, um, getting down to brass tacks and what it would cost you to play all the way through. Uh, so looking at the PS4 version here, uh, completed box will run you thirty two nineteen. Uh, that peaked at fifty five dollars back in November twenty eighteen, and that's slightly up. Uh, we've got a loose copy going twenty seven thirty. That peaked at 43.47 back in November 2018, and that has been holding pretty steady for a while. Now, this is a game that you can get digitally pretty easily. Uh, on Xbox, it'll run you 19.99. On PlayStation, it'll run you 29.99. And on PC, on Steam, it'll run you 15.99. Now, Sony is running a deal right now where they will give you it for $8.99, and that's through November 1st. So you'll have like a day or so after the podcast to get this message and buy it on sale if you want to get it uh, digitally for as cheap as possible. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of pricing or where I think this thing should be, I think $20 is a fair price uh, for a game like this. But I mean, obviously digital pc is 1599 uh on steam so i think that's the way to go right if you're not playing it on playstation definitely pick it up on steam for that 1599 i can't see you know complete in box is interesting for this because it is not from my understanding a very common game in a physical format Mm -hmm. so in basically think about our conversation barry the other day um you know if this is removed from any of these platforms expect this game to skyrocket Right. It's already it's been holding its price at thirty two dollars. I mean, you're talking a VR game that came out five years ago and it's still holding at thirty two bucks. Right. Yeah. Now, and it's trending up. So, you know, if you are a physical collector of VR games, is it worth picking up right now? Thirty two nineteen? Probably. 
if you're just wanting to play the game, $15.99 on Steam, and you'll have your few hours of fun and spookiness, and that's it. You know, so that's that's where I would look at that. So I would think in terms of our rating, uh, I would say this is inflated. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out, uh, but you could probably get it for a better deal. I mean, I would say you could skip on the VR, honestly, and just play it regular. So, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Sounds good. All right. So episode 259 coming. God, episodes three, 300 is going to be here before I know it. Um <laughs> So episode 259, I think maybe we play some Mario Wonder. Ooh, I wonder yeah. what that'll be like. Yeah, it'll be uh, <laughs> November. We can't say Nestember because it's already been coined by Premium Edition Games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to say. And there's no elephant jokes I can consider right now to be able to, to do that either for, you know, November. But either way, I think that's what we play. I think we'll have some fun with that one. Sounds good to me. Cool. Well, this has been episode 259 of the Game Flitters podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening. Actually, I just realized it's episode 258, isn't it? (laughs) This has been episode 258. Have a good one.